0: I presented this um, topic. I prepared it for today, and um, we're re- we're talking about uh, the board's uh, role in performance assessment. And the this uh, image you see is the is a title page of our of our book that Vic Marie and I wrote. Um, that you can download for free um, from the internet. If you type in the title, it should come up. And so a lot of um what a lot of the structure that we're going to talk about will come from there, but there'll be other uh, information. So the agenda really is we're just focusing on the board's role and responsibilities in performance assessment. And we're going to zero in on, whether boards are well, we're going to talk about that first. Have challenges in this area, and what you think, you know, from your own experience, what some of those challenges are, and then um, we're going to look at the issues that we assess um, through uh, the board checkup, which is a performance assessment um, application, and then we'll um, we'll look at the research to what extent. Do boards experience them and uh, then we'll talk about why these challenges occur and what um, can be done about them and and i'm going to draw from theory about the role of boards in this area, the concepts and i'm going to talk about fiduciary governance good governance practices and then the research on um that around board change so what are what are boards actually changing in this area so there's a lot here and if we may not get through it all but maybe we will and if you would like to ask questions or um talk about anything at any time just just speak up and um just interrupt me because I can't really see if you raise your hand I might be able to oh here comes somebody else coming in I'm going to admit them so do feel free to um to pause and we can reflect but I do have a lot of content here just to warn you um because this is a big topic I'm going to welcome I'm going to. We have another participant, and I'm just going to see here. It's Troy. Uh, Troy is joining us. Troy, we're going to just start here because it's a bit after 11. And um, if you have any questions, just um, feel free to raise your hand or just speak up um, and unmute yourself. So let's get into it. What is performance assessment and why is performance assessment important? Well, it is part of a board's due diligence uh, function in ensuring that the organization that the board governs is achieving its mission efficiently and effectively. as the body to which the CEO, if this is a professionalized organization reports, so CEOs report to boards, the board is also responsible, in addition to the organization, for assessing um, the CEO's performance. And not just limited to the CEOs, nonprofits um, and all corporations are self-governing. And so, boards are responsible for ensuring that those corporations, we're going to let some Daniel in too. Troy, welcome. Daniel, welcome. We're already starting. Uh, But boards are responsible for ensuring that they are governing, that the corporation is governed effectively. So, there's different uh, levels of analysis here. And boards are both legally and morally accountable accountable. Uh, to those for whom they act as trustees in this role. And this is really critical, um, particularly on the not-for-profit side. And um, they are required uh, by law um, to um, account for the organization and uh, to also those who fund the organization or for which there's legal contracts. Um, There is part of the accountability function always involves performance assessment. So to account for something requires an underlying assessment of gathering of data and an analysis and reporting of that data. And so, um, for example, showing how donations were used, how, um, how funding agreements were followed, um, how the mission was advanced and that's to regulators that allow the corporation to exist so that in Canada, for example, a corporation must follow its um, its mission as stated in its incorporation documents. And it can't really deviate from there, um, especially um, for the type of corporation that it has been approved, whether it's a charity, So if it's a charity, it has to fall within its charitable mission, and it can't deviate from that, or it risks losing its charitable status. So boards that um, fail to do this, to carry out their accountability obligations, really increase the risk of the organization failing, including as I just mentioned, it's ceasing to exist and losing its charitable status. So all of that would depend on the jurisdiction in which that corporation is located. So that's really important. What are the laws, say, um, where the organization is located? And if it's located in multiple jurisdictions, all of those laws apply to um to where to that corporation so let's just stop for a moment and pause from your own experience and i know you have lots of experiences do you think boards face challenges in this area in meeting their responsibilities for performance assessment and if so what where are they challenged just let's just open it up so just feel free to unmute yourself
1: Yes, Yvonne. I think uh, um, I. think many boards, uh, in my context, I, I I work with different boards in different countries. Um, the challenge that I see is uh, probably not knowing how they can actually carry out uh, the assessment and continuous evaluation. So as a result, uh, they may ask. They they may they have a very strong sense of uh, engaging the CEO and the management in terms of keeping them accountable. But uh, it weakens when it comes to the board itself, keeping itself accountable, uh, you know, through going through a detailed assessment on how are they executing their governance responsibilities to the institution. So there is that gap always that is created. Um, and uh, hence, many boards keeps on running, and have very little aspect of you know the self assessment uh, on their on their on their role. Especially, they may right. do it well on the on the CEO or on this team, but on um, assessing their performance as a board, there's always uh, a challenge there. Excellent. Others, other.
0: Um you can agree with Rai and, and add to it, add other pieces, challenges, gaps. Okay, well, of course, um I would completely agree with you on that, and there are other issues that challenge boards, or at least that we um surface and are assessed through the board checkup. So Um, One of them is not really assessing how well the organization is achieving its mission and um, how effective that organization is and how efficient it is in doing so. And the board not really getting enough of the right kind of information that it needs in order to evaluate how well the organization is doing. So really, really lacks data. And um other issues are really not doing an adequate analysis of risks facing that organization, or um, getting involved too late um, after they surface to to do anything about them. Um, not ensuring that uh, finances are managed soundly is another another um, another symptom, and then. Again, not carrying out assessments of the CEO's performance, but also the organization, the board's performance too. So I just didn't put, um, I just didn't include that in there. But it's in the last one for I, where the board simply doesn't even understand that it has that it has a responsibility to assess its to assess its own performance and develop itself as a governing body. So these are those issues um, that uh, we include in the board checkup. So uh, the this is based on over seven thousand directors who have assessed their board in this area, and these are the issues that come up. The red. So in the top of the the most challenging for the uh, at for at least from the opinions of those who assess their boards was that the board doesn't do a good job or an adequate job of assessing risks that the organization um, might face or um, assessing how well the organization is achieving its mission. Those were the lowest scores, meaning they're the most likely issues. Uh, But then sort of in the middle um, are about not assessing um, the the performance of the ED and not getting enough data um, to do that and the the least problematic is around finances and so I just sort of summarize them talk to seem to be the most salient there's some middle ground and one seems to be less problematic around managing finance you know why why do boards experience these problems and i think you know you talked about it um uh around a lack of knowledge but yeah there's a lack of clarity actually even about the mounting kind of assessments that the board should undertake and um And then it could also be that the board and management have different ideas about what the board's role is in this area, the board, maybe management doesn't think that the board should be involved in assessing um, the organization's effectiveness so there could be some confusion there different ideas about roles. And it could be that the the management isn't supplying it or that the systems, uh, the organization really doesn't even collect the data that it needs, doesn't even have access to this data. Or it's in paper format, it's not in a a suitable uh, form for the board to access it. Um, Or it could be that there are no real structures created or processes for assessment in the organization. So the board simply lacks um, that kind of capacity um, to collect data, but also then once it has it to actually analyze that data and understand what it means. And then going that goes back to your knowledge. um, And then it also could be a culture that's developed in the organization where the board might be uncomfortable uh, monitoring and evaluating the performance of the ED, who they have a close relationship with, who they're dependent on to advance the mission of the organization, and or holding that person accountable for performance. Um, for fear that it may show lack of trust or could harm the relationship. I And I hear that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, to, what do we do about this? This is a complex problem. And we know from uh, surfacing um, or our talking with directors that they're observing these issues as well. So what I wanted to t- spend some time on, I'm gonna talk about, well, what do we do about this? And the book is structured around this. There are um, practices, things that you can do to improve um, improve the board's um, behavior and practice in this area. But I'm gonna add a few things to it before we just get into best practice. I wanna add, I wanna go back to, some of the theory about the role of boards in this area, why boards exist, what their role is supposed to be for from a theoretical point of view, and then talk about the concept of fiduciary governance, which is what this is about. And more and less effective approaches that boards take to it. And I'm gonna draw from some of the literature um, some well-known scholars there, different scholars I'm going to draw from. So I'm going to start with that and then I'm going to sort of move our way through, but I'm going to start with that and um, and then uh, sort of move into, uh, you know, how can you then um, beef up effectiveness and talk about some of the leadership and the structures that could be implemented and some tools and resources that exist in addition to assessing the performance using the board checkup. There are other frameworks and tools that are here that um, I'm going to draw some attention to that you can use. And then I'm going to show you after I go through this what the boards who assess performance actually changed in response to assessing their performance. So I'm going to show you. The change that occurs through this practice. Let's just get to okay, in theory, boards act so principal agent theory. In theory, boards act on behalf of principals to advance their interests. You could say they're on behalf of owners to advance their interests, whoever those owners may be, members, whoever they may be. And that's a good question to ask. Who are the owners? Who are the principals? Are we clear about that? But we act on behalf of principals um, to advance their interests. And we boards delegate some of their authority to to agents, to CEOs, to advance, oh, I spelled principal wrong, principal interests. And from this theoretical perspective, the board's interests and the agent's interests are different. They're not aligned. And the practice of performance assessment helps boards account for principal interests and advance them. And hold those agents accountable. So from that's in theory, that's what the role of the board is from this perspective. Now, there are lots of different theories and roles, but this is the one that fits this dimension. Now, why is that difficult? So, and I just mentioned, it's a challenge. Do boards know who the principals are? Is everybody clear about that? That's a good question. Um do boards know what they can't delegate and what they can delegate. And so in the a, a couple of months ago we reviewed board roles and responsibilities and legally boards can't delegate the evaluation function. So they can they can delegate the implementation function, they can delegate other functions, but not the evaluation function. So this is an area of performance assessment that they can't give away. Um, In terms of board and agent interests that are not aligned, CEOs have assumed greater power and control in not-for-profit organizations over the years. And they assume more power and responsibility. And so, and without that relationship, um, without a good relationship, the ad- interests of principals are not well ad- uh, uh, advanced. So this is this is a delicate dance here on this one. And the practice of performance assessment itself reduces risk to the organization, and it enhances the interests of of principals and agents if it's done well. But boards lack that knowledge, that capacity, that those competencies to do it is one of the challenges. So the role then that the board plays is as fiduciary from this perspective. And the the leadership role of the board really is on the stewardship of assets ensuring that they're safeguarded, that the organization advances its mission, its purpose, it's compliant with the law, so it can't break the law, and it has enough resources to to advance that direction. So fiduciary governance. So boards can get into trouble um, in this area. So there are more and less effective approaches to fiduciary governance, but let's just look at the role. The boards that that act do well um, tend to have board-centered CEOs. So their CEOs are actually helping them in this regard. They're um, very much being proactive respecting the board's role in this regard, making it easy for them, easier for them to carry out this role so they don't do it in isolation. And boards may need to consult to fill those gaps in knowledge and fill those gaps in capacity, access external resources to do it, which is one of the reasons why we created board checkup, but there are consultants and other um resources within the sort of industry that can be helpful. And the board needs to develop in this role. It needs to get educated about the nonprofit sector, about lo- law and legislation. They're changing now all more and more. These laws are being updated in terms of the industry at which it's situated and how it's different from other sectors of the economy. And then boards really knowing what it is that they need to measure and what's important in terms of its fiduciary role. And then um, making sure that money is presented around in the context of the mission or the priorities of the organization so that it can connect them. They're not separated, that's really difficult for directors to evaluate, then they're not connected. So, performance based budgeting and other practices can an, an help a board meet its role here. And then, what the board's um, uh, risks are assessed are within the board's responsibilities. So, Chate Ryan and Taylor wrote a really good book. I always um, I recommend people get it. It's called governance as leadership. And they review these three modes of governance, and they devote different chapters to them. And in the chapter on Fidu, and they're all important. You can't have one without the other. The more, what they say, the more modes of governance a board um, practices, the more effective the board is, and the more leadership the board returns to the organization. And but in each of these modes, you can have more or less, you could be engaged in it, but maybe not very effectively. So, what they do is they sort of um, lay out sort of descriptively what effective governance looks like and what it doesn't look like. And so, you could evaluate your board or other boards you are against these criteria. So, a less effective approach. fiduciary governance would be a very formalized rigid structured um view of it where the focus just is internal um and looking for problems and risks and linking them to legal duties and responsibilities as part of the due diligence role. so like a rigid view of um of of fiduciary governance from that perspective. Meetings then um, would tend to be dominated uh, by staff. CEOs would play dominant role and boards are sort of passive in their responsibility here. And you could, the questions that they ask tend to be focused on oversight. So this is just purely arm's length oversight uh, where management still plays this strong leadership role, and boards are just um, um, engaged to uh, sort of basic look at basic questions around problems, where whereas a more effective approach would be what Chate, and Taylor call an an inquiry approach to fiduciary governance, where there's a lot more flexibility in structures that the um, focus is internal and external and it's not on detecting problems, it's on resolving or preventing problems. And so there's a culture developed that's much more collaborative with between the CEO and the board working together. Again, going back to earlier research where the the CEO actually supports and helps the board um, carry out this role and and really enhances the effectiveness of the board. Questions will shift. They won't be sort of binary yes or no questions. They will be questions that really are inquiry questions. I'm gonna put up a slide in a minute again on what some of those look like, Um, but, A a typical example would be what's the business case for this, or what did we learn from the audit, not did we get a clean audit, what did the auditor point out that we might need to improve upon. Um, And so these kinds of questions suggest that the board is trying to learn and develop and recognizes that problems are part of organizations. Um, and that they need to work t- with management on them. And then the last one question there about reflecting the needs of our community. so you'll see a lot of questions here that are focused externally. Um, and when you when you observe boards in these you really can um, you really do hear these questions and observe these um, types of meetings. So here's again some of these entire Inquiry type of questions. It depends on what the topic is. If it's about knowledge, um, if it's a knowledge-based question, then you know the you're looking to learn something or understand something or find out how things are defined. Um, if it's an applied question, which you know CEOs would often um, be involved in that implementation of policy then those kinds of, these kinds of questions around application can be asked. And then all the evaluation questions really drive, um, really drive the data. They're really looking at evidence and making connections and synthesizing what happened so that they can account. So these are just examples of where the, how important the questions are. So I want to just stop for more. Any any questions before I sort of go on? Is this sort of making sense or following logically? Yes. Yeah?
1: Yes, yes, I think so. I It looks very good for, for using this question in our, our meetings.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. you could almost have a cheat sheet that you could give to... Um, directors to help them help them frame questions and mm. you know a great a great tool is Bloom's taxonomy of questions and they and they there's all different types and this um, and they can be framed so they're appropriate for what you're trying to learn And uh, this could be an area for board development, and I think it would make it would change board meetings a lot. Yes. Okay, so when we get clear then so that those were clear the, the theory and the concepts, and then the practices that I've just covered. And now talking about the board's role here, and these are sort of in performance assessment for thinking about the organization's effectiveness, it's due diligence or role and fiduciary responsibilities around the organization, around the strategic plan. Um, Are those objectives being met or is there even a strategic plan? Because if there isn't plan, how do you actually evaluate that? So there could be gaps. There could be gaps here where it's not possible to to come to some kind of conclusion about how the organization's purpose is being advanced if there's no strategic plan or there's no performance measurements. And if money, if resources aren't aligned with with those priorities. Um, And then evaluating how the behavior is, are people following The the organizations are acting within the values of the organization or the codes of conduct within that organization. How do you know that? How do you evaluate that? How are risks identified and managed? These are all part of evaluating the organization's effectiveness. Don't I'm going to talk about frameworks that might help you just like those questions a minute ago. That's a practical tool. I'm going to provide you with some practical guidance on how you could do this. So don't sort don't get overwhelmed by it because there are frameworks and there are criteria that have been standardized that could be helpful to inform this with your board. So same with the CEO's effectiveness. You know, how do you know whether they're meeting your performance expectations? Has there ever been a, has there ever, is there a contract, an employment contract in place? What does that contract say that this individual is responsible for? And has that ever been evaluated? And is there ever been an appraisal process in place? And then, Um, You know, is in terms of delegated authority, how is the board evaluating how well, like if it delegates the implementation of the strategic plan to the CEO, how is it assessing how well the CEO is doing implementing that? How does it do that? And then, um, and the leadership of that CEO as a leader uh, 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 of the organization in the organization and externally and then again on the board's effectiveness how does the board know and this was a question for you talked about at the beginning that it's governing effectively as a fiduciary and meeting its own accountability objectives in terms of how it could use data to improve itself yeah. so yeah. um there's I might skip ahead now to some frameworks because, um, yeah, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna talk. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about performance frameworks. So, this is where, and I'm sure all of you have read the popular management literature and have probably heard about the balance scorecard and there's a balanced scorecard for charities in the social sector and uh, program logic models um, exist and they all exist to align input so resources finance human with activities outputs that you expect and outcomes to evaluate programs so these program logic models have been around as an antidote to the problem evaluation coming out of mainly around public sector um, evaluation of government programs. But they're often used um, in not-for-profits, especially those that deliver public goods and services on behalf of governments. And so they're really important in terms of organizing, providing an organizing framework of all of what a program does and how you would evaluate whether it was effective or not, and had the impact that it needs to. Not-for-profits are different than government in the sense that they're more likely when, when studies have been done to focus on the outcomes rather than the outputs. And so often they'll know what changed in a community as a result of a program, but might not understand the performance of that program itself. So there may be some gaps there. The balance scorecard is another framework that looks at the organization from different perspectives. And it measures performance from those different perspectives. So usually finance, internal, so internal around um, operations, often services, service quality, and then how well that organization learns and adapts um, to change. That's one, another type of framework. And then in not-for-profits, another one is a stakeholder scorecard, and that's used to monitor the performance um, and expectations that are linked to multiple stakeholders. And um, because they all might have different um, performance measures that they that they're interested in. And you'd have to manage those and those relationships and be able to account for them. So those are three types. But there's another one that I think is really useful. Um, And it's um, it's called the competing values framework for organizational effectiveness. I'm gonna show a a illustration of it. What's interesting about this framework is that, I'm gonna put it up right here, is that it measures effectiveness in different dimensions according to underlying values. So the human relations on the top left, the value, there uh, would be around human relations and pattern maintenance. So looking at um, engagement, morale, development of human resources, participatory um, um, processes. And many not-for-profits, each of these different dimensions will have different criteria of what makes the organization effective from that perspective in not-for-profits there tends to be a value based on human relations and engagement and much and the values tend to dominate what gets measured almost to a paradox of the opposite so the opposite in the opposite court um, quadrant to human relations is a rational goal quadrant, which places an emphasis on goals and efficiency, which is what a fidu- w- which is what boards are responsible for in the, from this perspective. And so there's a paradox, and um, so it, it's 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 not either or; it's and that the board has criteria to be an effective organization, it must be effective in each of these dimensions. And there are different people place different value, oftentimes without talking about them. So on your board, for example, people Um, may be driving certain strategies or certain criteria um, because they're important to them. And so they need to be discussed because they're all important and there'll be tensions between them. Um, And and so so this framework actually explains those tensions um, and um, helps the organization understand and manage the paradox that emerges. So, for example, on the bottom left is all around accountability and efficiency and internal controls and data. And the paradox there is that that then isn't focused externally on adapting and being open and flexible to change. So they're both important. You just have to be aware that you can't put all your eggs in one basket here that they're all important. So so these are just examples of frameworks that can help you identify and talk about um, effectiveness criteria. And so I'm talking here as the organization as a whole. So I'm going to look, show you here, this is what this looks like if you look um, in, Be the behaviors that you're going to see. And what's interesting is that what Warbaugh and Quinn say is you want to, you don't want to overemphasize or underemphasize any one quadrant. You want to be in the middle of all of them. And when you overemphasize one, you'll see, you'll get into what they call the negative zones. So too much human relations could lead to permissiveness and where you can't control that organization. conversely, too much focus on goals may um, lead to exhaustion or um, you know lack of of discernment of the direction of the organization if it's really, really driven by one direction or one vision, for example. So what you wanna be is you don't wanna be, fry when you talked about the board not knowing or not engaging in its own assessment, that's an unclear, um, uh, uh, that falls in a negative zone because there's really nothing there. So you don't want to, you want to have enough, but not too much. So it needs to be balanced. Any of these approaches, again, going back to what I said, where you, you want to have an inquiry base, an open approach, a collaborative approach where you're working together to build strong accountability and assessment that helps everybody. This is what that framework looks like from a leader perspective. You can use the same framework to evaluate leaders. Your CEO can be evaluated using this. Your directors can be evaluated from this perspective. And so it's a a conceptual framework, a performance framework that can be used at multiple levels of analysis when if you have done the board checkup you we actually use it on our impact assessment for the board as a whole decision making effectiveness and we assess the effectiveness of the decisions boards make using the same framework so i want to then um get into uh let's i'm going to show you this man let me just introduce it a bit so We've talked about theory, concepts, practice, recommended practice. Now I'm gonna go into the research and show you what did boards actually change through performance assessment? And it's fascinating. And I actually just finished this analysis. I've got all, this is all the data that comes out of the board checkup. I just finished this analysis this morning. But by the board engaging in the performance assessment function, all of these changes resulted. Number one of all of them, assessment of the CEO's performance occurred most often. But there were changes everywhere. So through the practice, by boards exercising their due diligence in their fiduciary role, there was greater clarity of their own governance role. There was greater clarity about their roles and responsibilities, their legal duties, about accounting and reporting and the accountability role of the board itself. Assessment, um, Performance assessment of the CEO, but the directors, the individual directors, chairs, boards, the organization and a culture really developing around that. Uh, regular check-ins, Um, on performance assessment, not one time assessments, but discussions and openness to performance as being part of the board's role and, um, and governance. Strategic planning, there was a lot of changes there as well around reviewing policies and procedures, having a dashboard that would allow the board to see where progress is being made on the implementation of the plan and meaningfully evaluating it, and um, connecting that plan to the CEO's performance appraisal. Um, there was more. The board was more um, uh, more informed about the resources that um, that it needed uh, to advance its purpose. And um, develops and structured itself around this role. So it created improved structures. It changed structures like the executive committee now became much more engaging with the board as a whole. So the board as a whole could meet its due diligence role. Um, and... Um, Um, making recommendations to the board so that recognizing that the board is responsible for this, not just one committee, and if there is a committee or structures that they bring those recommendations back to the board. Meetings changed from having more time for these discussions, more productive meetings, more informed decisions, opportunities for retreats, open conversation board composition needs change so performance assessment actually um help the board identify who they needed to have on the board and then again going back to culture there was a lot of culture change which is one of the barriers to performance assessment that i talked about in the beginning and culture does change through this and so does the leadership of the of the uh, on the board, so the CEO and chair became more collaborative, and um, in many cases there was a new CEO that was hired, um, and the board working um, more as a team around this. So those those are a lot of changes that happen through the board's focus on performance assessment, and. You know, this, here's a word cloud of the words that, of those changes that boards described. Um, We did this little analysis and you can see the bigger the word, the more often that word was inputted into the um, assessment. So you can see assessment itself, change of the board, biggest changes were in the board's role and responsibilities but then all of these other there were lots of changes as I mentioned. So um, improving the board's role in performance uh, assessment occurs, and and so and and that translate to the organization through the process of performance assessment. So this is a way to begin um, that process of getting more clarity of the board's role is through this practice. And this is not only supported by our research, but every empirical study has always pointed of all the good governance practices, one of them has been associated with improvements in effectiveness and performance, and that's the practice of performance assessment. So it's a really good place to start, whatever tool you use, it's useful. And that's really um, all I had.